Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I'm thrilled today to have Amir and Jewel Burton from the Antelope Valley in Southern California join the podcast. Amir and Jewel, so great to have you here today. Thanks for having us, oh, Rob. So great to be here. Thanks for having us. Amir and Jewel are leading a campus ministry in Antelope Valley. Uh, they've got one child, Drew. He's almost two years old. And uh, Amir also has a twin brother named Tyreek. And he and his wife, Jackie, are also campus ministers in the Santa Barbara Church. Uh, Amir and Jewel, how'd you guys become Christians? Yeah, so uh, hmm. I became a Christian uh, in 2010. I was uh, going to Cal State Long Beach, and uh, I, I went with my twin brother, and uh, we were roommates there and uh, in the dorms. And my brother had uh, developed a crush on <laughs> uh, one of the members of the women's soccer team. Uh, her name uh, is Whitney, and uh, Whitney was a disciple. Uh, my brother didn't know that, and so he um, always tried to talk to her. Always tried to get to know her in the cafeteria of the dining the dining hall, and uh, eventually she invited him out to a Bible discussion uh, at, at the dorms on campus. And he went <laughs> just to try to you know get closer to her. and And that Bible discussion changed his life and led him to uh, to get baptized. And so he became a Christian first at the end of our freshman year, uh, you know, at Cal State Long Beach, and then for six months. He reached out to me every single day, uh, invited me to a midweek, to a devotional, to a Sunday service. He asked me to do some Bible studies, uh, to which I told him no every single time uh, <laughs> over the span of six months. And then finally, I told him, OK, I'll go to something. I'll go to a midweek just to get him to be quiet about the whole church thing. And, and uh, eventually I went and uh, that completely changed my life. I met this this brother named Chaz Zenteno, who now does team ministry in Santa Clarita. And uh, he studied the Bible with me and baptized me on October 3rd of 2010. Wow. How about you, Jewel? So a uh, funny thing is Amir's brother, Tariq, was baptized a week before me. So I was at Tariq's baptism and saw Amir and his mom and his family there. And that was the week, the Sunday before I got baptized. So, um, but my story with the church kind of goes way back to high school. I um, ran track. I was like a, a, a really good high school athlete. And one of the kids that was on my track team was a disciple in the team ministry, which obviously I had no idea. I just knew that he was different. His name was Josh. And he would pray before our track meets and he would talk to me about God because I was religious. I went to church every Sunday with my mom and my family and I knew about God, but I didn't really have a personal relationship with God. For me, it was all about like traditions and uh, family. Like you go because your mom tells you to go. And so, but I saw that kid, Josh, and I was like, wow, that's different that he like, he talks about God in front of the people like on campus. That's so <laughs> interesting. And so, and come to find out it wasn't just him. It was two other students that was on the track team that were also disciples um, in high school, in the high school that I went to, I went to Mayfair High School. And I remember, um, I, we graduated from high school. I got into a school and I just, I felt like it's funny because I felt God was kind of calling me from even in high school. 
got into a school, something sporadically happened where I wasn't able to go to the school and I ended up going to Long Beach City College, which was not at all in my plans. I was super embarrassed to tell people I went there. Uh, when they would ask me, where do you go to school? I would just say Long Beach, Long Beach. And they would they be like, okay, whatever that means. And they would just assume Cal State Long Beach. But when I got to school at, at um, LBCC, I ended up joining school a year later. So a year after I graduated from high school, I joined the City College. And I remember a few weeks after the semester started, I was just walking around on campus. I didn't really have like a lot of friends. I was always about you go to class, you get your work done, you go home. That's it. And you, you go to work. And so I remember walking around and they had like a tabling event and I walked up to the, the event, the tabling, and I saw one of the girls that I went to high school with that was on a track team. She was sitting at the table and I said to her, Daisy? And then she was kind of hiding behind the, the little like, you know, tri-board thing. And then she was like, Jewel. And it kind of started from there. So I remember she, they tried to invite me to a um, a Bible study. And I remember telling them like, no, I'm good. Like, you know, I go to church, like that's, I'm not really looking for God. I already, I already know God or whatever. So then they, they, I remember they set up a Bible study. It was a Thursday and I set up a Bible study. I left school. I got on the bus and went home and they called me. They were like, Hey, what about our Bible study? And I was like, Oh, sorry. I went home already. So that was that semester. Skip forward to, I, I didn't study the Bible over that summer. I had a friend from high school. Um, he ended up getting met. Uh, at LBCC. He studied the Bible. He became a Christian and then he became a pest. And so he would invite me to uh, the fall retreat, invite me to different Bible, Bible talks on campus. And I would just be like, no, like that's good for you, but I don't need that. Following semester, uh, one of the girls was in my class and I've always been a pretty outspoken person. Um, I remember this one class specifically, the professor was very soft-spoken. And so the, the students were really disrespectful. They would talk over her during class. And I've always been a person of, of academic excellence. And so I was really frustrated because I felt like they were messing with my learning. And I remember standing up in the middle of the class and telling everybody to shut up and stop talking so I could hear the professor. And I said, if anybody of you have a problem with what I'm saying, you can meet me outside. And I remember the girl who was the <laughs> disciple in that class, she was like, wow, oh my gosh, I have to talk to this girl. And so that same, the next day, uh, I went to a Bible talk. My friend who had who I gotten baptized, he invited me to a Bible talk. So I went after, but I went after the Bible talk was over. So I went to the Bible talk area and that girl who was in my class mustered up the courage and she came up to me and she said, hey, um, uh, aren't you the girl that's in my class? And in my mind, I'm like, you know, I'm the girl that's in your class. Like, why would you ask me such a ridiculous question? And I said, yes. And then she said, hey, I was wondering if you were interested in studying the Bible. And I knew that if I said no to her, she would pester me until I said yes. And so that that next we set up a Bible study for that next Thursday. And long story short, by the end of the Bible study, God had completely uh, like mashed my heart mm. and I was in tears. Mm. And it was just the seeking God study. I remember very vividly I they read Jeremiah 29. And I remember thinking like, really? Like, and I had read the Bible my whole life and I had never encountered that scripture. And I, I thought like, wow, I always knew in the back of my mind, like I had something special with God. I knew that, but to see it on paper, like blew my mind. And I remember every day after that, I would study the Bible twice a week. And um, I got baptized on May 23rd, 2010. And honestly, it has been the best decision I've ever made. And uh, had not those people pestered me, 
I would still be thinking that my relationship with God was good enough, even though I didn't really know God, I just kind of knew of him. And so, yeah. Wow. That's a little bit of my story. Wow. Super strong. Just stand up like that in class. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, when you mentioned Long Beach, uh, Cal State Long Beach, there's, you know, there seems like there's a really strong campus ministry there. Like, I know some other people from there, people like David Molina. I know Steve yeah. Stevenson was there at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and other people as well have come from there and have gone in, uh, a guy on our mission team to Tucson uh, named Dakota Botello was from yeah. Cal State Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Well, who was your campus minister during that time? Steve. Yeah, Steve, Steve Stevenson. Charlie Stevenson, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what what were they doing there? Because there's a lot of people that are currently in the ministry now. You mentioned Chaz Zentano, um, yeah. who came from that campus ministry. What was special about that that particular campus? Uh, a mix of things. I think uh, the culture of it in itself was just you wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was fun. Uh, you know, there's a lot of connections being built. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, activities that we were doing and, and, and devotionals we were doing that, you know, ju- you just wanted to be there and be a part of it. But also at the same time, it wasn't just a social club. It wasn't just like any other social kind of connection group or club on campus. There's this deep spiritual aspect yeah, about it. Right. And, and you knew that that's what you were going to get. Sure, mm-hmm. you're going to have fun. Sure, yeah. you're going to have a, a time to socialize, but you know it's going to be deep fellowship. You're going to learn more about God. And, uh, and and I think that in itself just became a magnet and people were drawn into the culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and in the cult, and it was just different from a lot of different groups that, I mean, we have had people in our ministry come from different youth groups, uh, from different churches. And a lot of our experience there was it's just a fun group. It's just this social group. The spiritual aspect was missing. And so it was just a very unique experience to be a part of. And, and that's why, we, I mean, we at one point were, I believe, one of the biggest campus ministries in the world. In the world. Mm-hmm. The biggest campus mm-hmm. ministry in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and Jewel, she was baptism number 100 yeah. of wow. that campus ministry. Yeah. Wow. So I think it, they, they did such a great job in building culture um, in that group and also making sure that there was a spiritual aspects, a spiritual well-being that continued to be carried, you know, by the older members of the ministry right. uh, to those who are younger. I, yeah, I think the Stevensons have a, a sense of a deep, deep love for God and mm-hmm. a conviction, like mm-hmm. and not just conviction about their love for God, but just convictions in general, convictions about the power of the word of God, the conviction about uh, being in one another relationships, the conviction about being together. And so I think for me, at least that's what I've always been. Like I said, I think a natural born leader, a person who speaks her mind very in the middle of what's going on. And when I saw that you could do that in a spiritual way, like, mm. And it was up for God. I was immediately like, how do I, what, like, how do you become that woman? Like mm. I, I was um, drawn in immediately. It was like I, the way I just thought about when you said it was like magic. Yeah. And so um, I remember, and you, you asked specifically, like, you know, all, a lot of us are in the ministry. And I think mm. that when w- the one thing that I think about um, their training groups that they mm-hmm. would have with people 
were were state of the art. Like they would have training groups and it wasn't just like, a, oh, you know, you come Saturday morning and yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it made you want to be there. Like you, it made you want to learn more about God and to sharpen yourself and not to be afraid of what someone might say about you or critique you or right. it made you feel like, okay, tell me some more. What do I need to grow in? How do I need to work this out so I can be my absolute best for God? And I will never forget that. I remember being a young Christian uh, before I was three months old spiritually. I was like, I want to be in that leadership group. And by the time I was three months old spiritually, I had already baptized three people and I was in the leadership group. In wow. Three months old spiritually. wow. But it's because I, I saw the older sisters. I saw how passionate mm. Charlie was. And I just felt like this is what I want to do. Like, I just want to love God and I want to help other people love God because of how God has changed my life so much. And so mm. It was magnetic. It was such a special time yeah. to be part of the campus ministry when the Stevensons were leading yeah. in Long Beach. Yeah, Steve and Charlie, a great couple. I mean, just I've got a connection with Charlie from going all the way back into the early '90s in Seattle. They're just a really fantastic couple. Steve Steve came from a really strong campus ministry back in the day yeah. uh, in Minnesota, Minneapolis, mm. and I think it's you know I think it's important. I'm sure that you feel like, okay, coming from that background, you have a template in mind, uh, 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 a precedent, you know, going into and building your own ministry, right. coming from that, you go, okay, I know how it feels. I know the experience. And it gives you something that you can build upon, just kind of like Moses coming down from the mountain. You've got, you've got that pattern showing you from the mountain and you can replicate the, the tabernacle down below, you know? Yeah. So yeah. very, very interesting. Now, what made you guys choose ministry? You could be doing anything you wanted. Why did you guys choose ministry? Yeah, so for me, uh, you know, I rose, you know, through and up in the ranks uh, as a Bible talk leader. I think part of that culture in Long Beach, that campus ministry was you had somebody that you can see and aspire to be. Mm -hmm. And so I saw all these young guys who were these leader type, um, you know, people and and these influential guys. And I'm like, this is who I want to be as I mature my faith. And so that naturally led many of the younger members of the ministry to want to get into leadership. And, and so I was able to get into leadership and became a Bible talk leader. And I enjoyed it. You know, I loved it. You know, I loved, you know, preaching the word on campus. I love sharing my faith and I just loved it. And so that inspired me to go into the full-time ministry. And uh, I remember at some conference or retreat I was at, uh, the brother preaching shared to uh, pray specific prayers, you know, about the path that you're going to take in life. And so uh, during this time, I was uh, studying kinesiotherapy and I wanted to be a physical therapist. And so uh, I remember on a Wednesday night, it was after midweek, <laughs> I sat on this rock outside of the, the dorms. And uh, on the rock, I just sat there, it was in the evening, and I prayed, God, make it dead obvious to me what you want me to do. Do you want me to be a, a physical therapist or do you want me to be a full-time Bible talk leader? You know, so <laughs> full-time Bible talk leader. Okay. Right. And so that was, that was the prayer. And you want me to go into ministry? And so I said, make it dead obvious, move th some things around in my life uh, for that to happen. And that was a Wednesday night. I prayed that Thursday night. I'm in my class, my, my physical therapy class. The next day. The very next day. And my classmate who's sitting right next to me turns to me and says, hey, did you hear about what happened to this major? And I was like, no, I haven't heard anything uh, that has happened 
to the major, should I be aware of anything? He said, yeah, this earlier today, this afternoon, this major was pulled from the school. Oh my gosh. Uh, and, 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 I'm, and his details were very, you know, vague. And, and so I, I rose my hand and, and asked the professor, I said, hey, is, is, is this true? Has this major been pulled from the school? Uh, this is what my classmate here is saying. And the professor put the cap back on the marker, put it down, um, immediately just had this expression of sadness on his face and said, yeah, it's true. This major is, is gone. Uh, I've been fighting it for a couple of weeks, but they announced today that budget cuts came to the, the, the CSU system. And this major uh, was one of uh, the, the list of majors that has been pulled from this, this university. And, and so I'm, I, I've tried to just teach, just to teach you guys and, and hope that, that that wasn't the case, but there's no point in teaching now, you guys should know. And so he said that there were people in the class crying, uh, a lot of questions in, in the program that we had for that at Cal State Long Beach was um, a very you know advanced program. And he said, hey, if you want a similar program to what we have, you would have to transfer to a school on the East Coast. And I mean, again, people were breaking down and and I'm sitting there in the back of the class next to my classmate with a big smile on my face. <laughs> God, God just answered my prayer. I don't know how much more obvious that it could be than this. You know, God just shut down what I was attempting to do. And, and so ever since then, I, I've, I've pursued ministry uh, full time and, and God has continued to open up doors. And so that's, awesome. that's how it, uh, it, it happened for me. That's great. Um, it's funny that you asked that question, like, why did I decide or why did I choose ministry? I don't think I chose ministry. I think God chose ministry for mm -hmm. me um, because I remember being a young Christian. Like I said, we were inspired by the Stevensons. And I remember thinking, like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And then if I'm if I'm being very frank with you, I think that because I didn't see a lot of African-American women in the ministry, it really deterred that dream for me. It made mm. me feel like I had to fit into a mold of, I have to look like this person if I want to be in the ministry, or I have to speak this way mm -hmm. if I want to be in the ministry. And so I just completely shut that down. I was like, no, God, I'm not doing that anymore. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go get a bomb job. I'm going to make a bunch of money and I'll just give to the ministry. That's what I'll do. Right. Like, that'll be my, right. my role in all of this. I'll just give money to the church to fund other people to go into the ministry. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's funny because uh, graduation was coming up and uh, every summer I was I worked for the school. I was a, a counselor. I did academic counseling and, and for transfer students and for incoming freshmen. And so I remember at the time they every summer they would ask me, Jewel, do you want to do the internship? We would really love to have you in the internship. And I would say, nope, got to go work, got to go pay bills. And they'd be like, OK. And I remember this specific summer I was going to go back to my job. And I remember specifically Don Russell, the Russells had taken over the, the campus ministry in Long Beach because the Stevensons moved to the East Coast. Okay. And um, the Russells were the campus ministers at the time. And I remember Don coming to me and she said, Joe, I really need to ask you something and I need you to have like an open, faithful heart. Mm. And she asked me, she said, I, I want you to think about doing the summer internship this summer, but there's no pay. So, and here I am, I live in an apartment, I had a car, I was, I had bills, you know, things that I had to take care of. And I was like, okay, Don, like, I'll think about it. I'll pray about it. And I remember in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, but I'm gonna still keep applying to all these jobs. And so just a little bit of history about me. I have never gone on a job interview and never gotten a job. Wow. Ever. 
That's never happened to me. And so I, I applied to like 10 different jobs that I was fully qualified for. And all of them said no. Mm. Every single job said no. And so I was like, mm, okay, God, I still don't think that you're talking to me. I, I'm going to just keep applying. I'm going to keep looking around. And I remember specifically going to church on Sunday and hearing a lesson about Jonah. And I was like, super convicted. I was like, I feel like I'm Jonah. So the next week I took the time out to read Jonah every single day for my quiet time in different versions. I read commentary. I read, I listened to podcasts. I did all these things on all my research about Jonah. And I felt like God was calling me to the ministry. And it, it had gotten to a point where I couldn't deny it anymore. It got, it got to a point where God had shut every single door to make sure that ministry was the door that I walked through. And so I remember uh, calling Don and I told her, okay, Don, I'll, I'll do your internship. <laughs> I'll do it. That's fine. I, I'll, uh, so at the time I worked three different jobs to pay my rent, to pay for my car, different things like that. And honestly, I worked that summer and it was the most, for some reason, the most hottest it's ever been in Long Beach, which Long Beach is not, it's a beach city. So it's not hot, but it was super hot that summer. And I remember it wasn't as I wasn't used to being as successful as I've normally been with ministry, like baptizing and staying the Bible with women. But yet I was the most happy and the most fulfilled mm. that I had ever been mm. in my entire like life. Mm. And I remember walking away from that and thinking, OK, God, like I, I get I got it. Mm. I see mm. what you're doing. I want to surrender to that. And that's what I'm going to do. That's great. And I never look back. So both of you guys, God shut other alternatives and funneled you into the direction of ministry. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people listening that are thinking like, man, I'd like to do ministry. I'm considering it. And yet I'm worried about it and, and who are talented, um, but are tentative at the same time. Any, any thoughts for them, any advice you'd give them um, about the, the thought about doing ministry as a, as a profession? Sure. I think, uh, I've definitely been in conversations with uh, men and women who, who are thinking about it, but hesitant to, to do it. Um, I think it, uh, it comes down to just the fulfillment, I think, really helps me um, in uh, the, the, the sense of just fulfillment that you get from doing ministry. Um, I think it's, it's second to none, uh, just how you're able to change people's lives spiritually in the course of their lives and and to really be involved in God's work. I think there, there's nothing more fulfilling on this planet than that, uh, you know? And so um, I can share and speak from my experience with that totally. I think praying for it as well, God will definitely make it obvious. Mm -hmm. And I do think that um, there is a place for, uh, in ministry for people of different gifts and people of different talents. And uh, I think, you know, uh, the evangelist here of our church, Greg Moretzky, a brilliant guy. Uh, and he could be doing, uh, you know, a number of different things, a million things. Um, but he's doing ministry. And uh, because it's it, the most fulfilling thing in the world. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he's able to use his gifts and talents that he could put other in other places, in other areas of life in ministry. And so um, it's definitely a place where you can use those same talents that you have that you feel like you need to put elsewhere. That you they translate well into uh, serving God's kingdom. Mm. So I think for me, it comes down to a matter of obedience. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Like if I, okay, I'm, I'm going to say this, but I really do believe that, you know, deep down somewhere that God is telling you, you know, mm-hmm. and you can run, you know, like I did. But I think if you are, if you continue to run, there's going to come a point where, you know, I, you know, in the scripture in Philippians, how it says like every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, like to the glory of the Father, you know, but it, it, at some point you're going to have to surrender. Mm-hmm. And I think that it may be now, it may be later, how, whatever the timeline is, but I just think it really boils down to an obedience in God. And when you're obedient to God, you know how God says like, he works everything out for the good of those who love him. Right. And I feel like our obedience is our, our us showing our love to God and he's going to work it all out. If you're worried about, um, Oh, well, where, where, where will I'll do ministry? They're, they're not hiring him. Mm. Okay. Well, there's lots of places that you can go to that right. will hire you. Or, or what about, what about my family? Now that's a big thing. I get it. Like, you know, people are like, well, my family's not even disciples and I'm moving somewhere else. And it's like, okay, well, God will take care of them. He'll, it'll all work itself out. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it, it really boils down for me to a matter of obedience and that God is going to take care of me. Like yeah, no matter what I'm doing, as long as I'm doing it for him, God is going to take care of me. I remember even being in that internship, I had to have an emergency surgery. I had almost gotten an ulcer. I was sick. I was an intern. I had no health insurance. Mm-hmm. And I remember, but God took care of me. There were some times where I didn't know how I was going to pay my rent, but God took care of me because I was doing his will. And so I really do. I, I'm a strong believer in that. Like, yeah, God's got you. He's right. not going to bring you to some place and then be like, well, oops, sorry, got to go. Like, that's right, not yeah. even in his character. Sounds like a lot of trust and obedience yeah. combined. That's great. Yeah. You guys are great examples. Now, you guys are in Antelope Valley, California. For our listeners around the world, where is that? I mean, even for outside of California, what, can you give us a little more specifics about where, where, where are you guys living? Yeah. And so for those who, who do not know where the Antelope Valley is, it makes sense that you don't know where the Antelope Valley is. <laughs> Oftentimes we get called the middle of nowhere. Yes. Uh, and so the Antelope, even us, I mean, we're born and raised in Southern California, mm-hmm. but before we received the phone call to come up for an interview here for the ministry position they had, we had no idea that the Antelope Valley existed. <laughs> yeah. And so California, Southern California is split up into, uh, okay, obviously you have the city of Los Angeles, L.A. County and surrounding L.A. County is the desert. And so you have the the low desert, which is Palm Springs. Many people are, are familiar with Palm Springs. But then there's also the high desert. And that's what the Antelope Valley is. And so it's about an hour and a half uh, north of the city of Los Angeles, right next to Santa Clarita. And uh, and so it includes the cities of Lancaster, Palmdale, uh, Lake, Pear, LA. Lake L.A., Pear Blossom. And uh, those surrounding cities Canyon, there. Canyon country. Canyon country. Okay. So. Okay. Great. Thank you. Now, you are, you're working on campus there. What campus is there at, in Antelope Valley? Tell me what, 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 where are you working? Yeah. So um, the, the school is called Antelope Valley College. And so that's a two-year community college uh, that's here. And then we also have a satellite college of Cal State Bakersfield. So CSU Bakersfield. There is a campus here as well. And then uh, there also is a, another university called the University of, of Antelope Valley, uh, which is a, uh, a smaller 
more so private university. Okay. So, so you're, you're not even on like a, a major, like Cal state campus. No, I mean, it's not like what you would think of as like a typical, like Gainesville type of a situation or UCLA or something. Mm -hmm. Um, well, tell me, but I know that there's been a big impact since you guys have gone there. Can you tell me about the growth and the progress that you guys have seen in your ministry since you arrived? Yeah. And so God has definitely been working yeah. um, here. I think uh, it's, it's like you said, there's no big university, so it's easy to write it off. Can something exist there? Can a campus ministry exist there um, without that university huge, big on a big scale? Um, but God's been working when, uh, upon our arrival here. We only have four disciples in, in the campus ministry. And, uh, and, and so they didn't even call their ministry the campus ministry. They were kind of <laughs> in, included in other different ministries. Yeah. You know, so we have four disciples that made up the, the ministry. Three of those were men and uh, it was only one woman. And so of the three men, we had a baby Christian who had just got baptized before we arrived. We had one that was pushing 30 years old. In, <laughs> And then we had one, uh, the other guy, that had no idea when he was baptized. He couldn't remember the date. Um, there was no pictures of his baptism he could refer to to figure that out. And so just an interesting group. And uh, the sister that was here, she was two years old spiritually, uh, but she never shared her faith before. Yeah. Uh, and so really never, didn't really truly understand. She never uh, her, exercised faith. Like her faith, her faith was never put to action or her identity as a disciple. Mm -hmm. And so um, we had a lot of work to do uh, when we first you know, got here. And so now we just hit our five year mark. And so um, we've seen our, our campus ministry over the past five years grow from as little as those four students to as much as 38 disciples wow. Amen. in our campus ministry. And so we were on the brink of 40 and that was our goal. But then, you know, the coronavirus, COVID-19 hit. And so it changed a lot. And so we're navigating, you know, currently with that. And uh, in our campus ministry, interesting, uh, in interestingly, it hasn't just grown itself. Our campus ministry has grown the other ministries of our church. Wow. And so over the past uh, five years, uh, our, we've seen our campus ministry influence the baptism of 70 to 80 members of our church and other ministries of our church. And so that's in the teen ministry. That's the singles ministry. That's the marriage ministry. And that's even the Spanish ministry that we have here. And so so God has been really working uh, to really change uh, the, the campus ministry here and to grow the campus ministry here, but also to grow and to change you know, our church here. By, um, by converting family members of the students, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. And so we've had, you know, the parents being converted and then the students of our campus ministries have converted grandparents, mm -hmm. uncles, aunts, cousins, mm -hmm. uh, friends of families, uh, family members, other distant relatives. So, yeah. So what's the what's the population of that area around Antelope Valley, including the, the, the small towns? Do you have an idea? Is it like 200,000, 300,000 people? That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know if I even know. That's a good question. Um, I know uh, on, on campus we have 20,000 students at uh, Antelope Valley College. 20,000 uh, at, at Antelope Valley. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, so as far as the community, not too sure. Well, I think that, you know, one, one thing that 
comes to my mind immediately is like, okay, you've got a commuter campus, you've got a junior college, um, not an ideal situation, especially for you guys coming from Cal state long beach. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a lot of people in, in that same situation where they'd love to have a campus ministry, but they're like, uh, but I'm just working on a junior college campus. You know, people don't stay around. What advice would you give in terms of mindset going into it? Um, to make it successful like you guys have made your ministry successful? What would you sure, say to I those think, people? Yeah, I think uh, we have to see that, you know, although it may be a two-year community college, there's still souls there. Yeah. There's still people that need God there. And I think it starts from that, understanding, hey, they're just as lost <laughs> as the people at, you know, the big universities yeah. and the big schools. That's and right. So, and, and so they, they need that. And, and if we understand that people need the gospel as much as we we say we do, then we can believe that a campus ministry can exist on a commuter two year school just as much as it does at a big university. And so, yeah, go ahead. I think that is interesting because you you can baptize these students at the at a two year institution and then you send them out. I think yeah. that we've had we've baptized men and women that have gone out to other campus ministries and been uh, an encouragement to their ministry mm. and who have led and who have become Bible talk leaders and doing different things that are amazing um, because they started here. And I, I, I think that you have to think big picture. If you're thinking about, yeah, this is a little community college, but these people who are coming out of here are going to change the kingdom. These mm. people who are coming out of here are going to go somewhere and, and, uh, and be and ignite something special somewhere else. And so I think it's not just about here, it's about big picture. I'm just, I'm so impressed with you guys and growing the church to 38 in a junior college, smaller town, smaller city, regional city. It's just, that's blow away and no excuses. I love the mindset of just deciding, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna really bloom where we're planted. Mm. Yes. And that's just an, an awesome, it, it really removes a lot of excuses from those who say, well, I don't know, I don't know if it can really work here. It just, let's just keep, let's keep digging into this. What's working for you guys? Like what's made the, I mean, how have you, how have you guys grown from four uh, disciples to 38 and of course a, a huge, a broader impact in the church as a whole? Yeah, sure. I think, uh, you know, you're asked that a lot and I think uh, um, a lot of people are looking for innovation. A lot of people are thinking of, okay, thinking of what can we do that has not been done before? And I think innovation can be helpful. I think it definitely can contribute to growth. And I think we need to think outside the box. But I think sometimes we can get distracted by these new innovative ways um, that we um, fail to remember uh, what you know, facilitates growth through these different innovative ways. And so I think um, mass recruitment is, uh, is is the big thing. Everybody wants that. Um, but evangelism, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily done by something. It's done by someone. Mm-hmm. And uh, this new evangelism that we desire, I think it, it's got to be a commitment to the method of Jesus. And so uh, what's working for us is is, is just hard work. Uh, I think it's uh, having structure um, in our days and uh, being intentional 
Yeah. When we're on campus, we're not just shooting the breeze and we're not just showing up just for the sake of being there so that we can say hey, we were on campus for the day. Mm-hmm. But when we're there, it's very intentional. It's very structured and it's hard work uh, throughout the whole day and reaching out to large numbers of people, uh, you know, taking our disciples along with us and our, the members of our, our, our ministry along with us. But for us, what's really been working is just working hard. Mm. And, and it's, it, it is definitely challenging uh, being at a commuter school. Yeah. But but that just makes the uh, makes, you know, we, we just have to work all the more harder um, mm. because of that. And so it's a long days on campus uh, in in everywhere we go. We understand, hey, you know, we got to reach out to the people there. And so um, we'll have meetings at, you know, D groups. Um, or other meetings, you know, at a Starbucks before we leave, I'm with the guys and say, hey, we're going to reach out to all the men here before we leave, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and that's wherever we go. Um, we, we don't we're not going through a drive through. We're going inside the restaurant <laughs> uh, so that we can do that. So we can. Re- and we're not just reaching out to the people that helped us with the order. It's everybody that's in the uh, the restaurant, the facility. Mm-hmm. And so um, and I think we've even had times where we had. You know, one of the things I did with my with, with the guys was, hey, we got to get rid of this fear um, when it comes to uh, outreach and talking yeah. to people. Mm-hmm. And so I've done, you know, a couple of different things. One in particular, mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, it was late in the night. It was probably about like eight o'clock. And uh, we drove uh, to a to a parking lot that has Starbucks and an Albertsons grocery store uh, and all these different places there. And uh, I said, hey. 30 minutes, guys, we're each going to share with 10 people. Wow. And, you know, and, and this is all kind of people. It's, it's at night. It's, you know, <laughs> and so and the mindset was maybe it wasn't the best, but maybe the mindset was, hey, if we can reach out at 8 p.m. to scary looking strangers. Right. In this parking lot, we can reach out to anybody on that campus. That's right. And that has done, done so much for the confidence of these young Christians that we have. Our ministry is fully young Christians. And so. It's done, done wonders for their confidence. But I think at the end of the day, it's just hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's and also it's it's leading by example in that. Yeah. And, and not expecting the members of my ministry to work harder than me. I have to set the bar. You know, I have to lead the pace. And so I really have to be, you know, outworking everybody, especially as the, uh, the campus minister. Right. So. I think for the women, it's 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 been a sense of uh, being confident and letting other women know what makes God, like you make God attractive by your life. Like you could still love God and be passionate about this or that and, and, and make that attractive about who you are. And so I think it's been really cool to like, I think that's what I try to infuse in all of the women. Who you are is amazing. And God needs you specifically to reach certain people. It's not going to always be me. God needs you, you with your, this GPA and that job and this family, whatever God needs you specifically. So I think it's just meeting them where they're at. Mm. Um, okay. Well you, that makes you like this. Okay. How about we do this instead? And just coming up with fun ways of reaching out to like, I, we're not sharing at night in the parking lot. I mean, that's just different. <laughs> that's but we started, I started this thing with the girls is okay. Where women are the number one consumers. So we would do this thing called shop and share. So we would go <laughs> specifically into <laughs> the mall and we yeah. would go to like a forever 21 or like a H and M or something like that. And we would just stand by the rounders. Now granted women love to shop. So we're shopping, we're in our element, but you're also, there's 
thousands of women that walk yeah. through these doors. And so it's, it's like easy. It's like, this is the easiest thing you can do. And, and it's simple. You just look over and say, Hey girl, I like that top, by the way, do you believe in God? And it's, and it just sparks all of these crazy, cool conversations with people you never would have thought you met, but it's really helping them to feel confident that they can do exactly what you're doing mm. and about making it fun and helping them to see like, God's going to meet you where you at. Like he's not gonna, expecting you to do some crazy stuff. Right. So that's what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, like for instance, at the university of Arizona, we are like right in the twenties and the campus ministry has been there from the beginning started with one person now it's in the 20s and it's it's hovered and i'm i'm i know for sure that i'm not the only person that's dealing with kind of a growth barrier in the campus ministry what advice would you give to a campus minister or a a church leaders like man i really want my campus ministry to go to the next level like what advice would you give in that situation yeah i would say um to identify and assess what the flaws to the system may be, mm-hmm. uh, identify, okay, everyone wants to have a breakout year, a big year, a big season of growth, mm-hmm. but thinking through, okay, what would be the flaws to that growth? And, uh, and I think that's what Jesus did in, in Luke chapter 10, where he said, Hey, it's the workers that are few. Mm-hmm. The flaw is, is in the worker, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, what are the flaws there? What are the things that can lead, you know, the, the worker to malfunction, the workers to break down uh, when they're when you're attempting to uh, to really have this breakout season, right. uh, you know, and assessing the approach uh, to the mission. How am I approaching this? Uh, yeah. Is there a disconnect anywhere of, you know, my heart and in, in, in God's heart here, you know, on this issue? And uh, and so I definitely think, you know, that's huge. I think that's that's the way I uh, like to assess it, it's okay. Thinking forward, what's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is we don't have any baptisms, mm-hmm. you know? And so what can contribute to that working backwards to avoid the worst case scenario? Uh, you know? And so I think it's starting to, uh, to figure out what the flaws are. I think a lot of times we can just start to, okay, I want, let's do this. Let's try this. And there's mm-hmm. all types of different things that we try to do which can be incredible things and great things. But I think there still has to be a mindfulness of, okay, what could break this thing down? What could break this thing apart? Uh, you know? And so that's something that, that, that I've been encouraged, you know, with the results of as I've uh, thought through ministry that way. That's great. That's great. Um, for me, I think in the beginning, when we first got here, we were having a little bit of trouble with the women getting baptized hmm. and, studying the Bible and things. And I I think I had to do a really um, sober judgment of me and my leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think I was really reliant on a lot of my talents and my skills that I had picked up in in Long Beach, you know, like, okay, if you do this or you say this, people will get baptized or come flocking. But I think what I realized during that time with lots of tears and questions, and I just, I realized that I was not, uh, that is God that makes it grow. And it's not me. I could, it doesn't matter how fancy I am with the words. It doesn't matter how I spin it to certain people that it's really God. And so I, I realized the change when I started to go to God more. 
Um, I would go on campus. We would go on Jericho uh, walks around the campus. Mm -hmm. I would have my the same place on campus that I would go to every single day. And I would sit there and I would pray or I would I would share my faith in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think when I started to see a change is when I started to rely less on me and more on God Mm -hmm. and less on my talents and my skills and more on God. Um, and I know that might sound cliche or like, okay, well, we've been praying, but I, I just think that there was, I really had to humble myself and say, okay, God, like, I don't have all the answers. I, I don't know what I'm doing. This right. is a whole new place. And when I forfeited all of that, I really saw God start to move and to work. And so that, right. that was just for me though. Right. Yeah. It's funny. It's like, if you ever seen the old show, Star Trek, there's always a scene where that, you know, they, they're getting destroyed by the Klingons and then the ship's getting blown apart and, you know, they're losing power. And it, it feels at times like in the, in the ministry where you try everything you've ever tried, you're trying to push all the buttons and nothing's worked powers out. Yeah. And you're just like, it, it used to work. You know, I used to do this, this is my special button and it's yeah. not working yeah. now. And yeah. it's such a, such a powerless feeling when you feel like you've tried everything, you know, and right. still it's not working like it used to. Yeah, and uh, I I totally agree. I mean, it, that's where it just it that's a good sign that it's time to get a lot deeper in your relationship with God and to either fast or pray or just mm-hmm. um, you know time to seek the Lord. Yeah, you know yeah. until He showers righteousness on you. I really think that's that's super important. So that's that's great you shared that. Now you know what do you guys you guys came from a strong campus ministry experience at Cal State Long Beach. And as you look forward into the 20s here, um, we come from a campus ministry movement dating back to the late 60s at Gainesville. And I mean, that's that's kind of our heritage in the, in the Church of Christ and the ICOC. What do you feel like needs to happen to create a new golden age of campus ministry moving forward? Did you want to start? No, I just oh, I thought you had a thought. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think training. I think tra- I think growth occurs when the lost are given leaders to follow. Mm. And I think that there has to be an emphasis on training. I think it's easy for us to look at the the scripture of Matthew 28, great commission. And we get so excited about, you know, the baptism part, you know, seeking and saving. And uh, that's verse 18 and 19 there. And we get so excited about that. and, And we put all our thought and we invest a lot of feeling and thinking into that. But there's a verse 20 that we have to also make sure we're aware of in the Great Commission where Jesus says, teach them to obey Mm. everything I've commanded you. And so that's, hey, invest something in them, put something in them, form something in them. And and so I think we're so loyal and we're so faithful to the baptism part of it. And that's what we want. And that's what we talk about a lot of even when we share good news. Yeah. But are we loyal and, and, and just as faithful to the training part of it? Mm-hmm. Or have we minimized our duty to train? Okay. Uh, you know, and so I think um, Jesus, you know, that, that was his ministry. He was, he was a trainer and he trained these guys. And, and I think G- Jesus knew that the withdrawn trainer uh, would, you know, set the, the church up, not the way it needs to be set up in order to grow. Mm. And, uh, and so I think it all goes back to that. I think about Long Beach and I think how it was just this heavy emphasis on training and how there was always a training group. There was a training group for, you know, the top, you know, uh, men and women in the group, the older men and women in the group. There was a training group for the middle aged, 
uh, men and women in the campus ministry. And then there was a training group for the younger. And so there was this huge emphasis on training. And so baptisms were happening by the people that were getting trained. You know, when I think of it, it's, it's, it's these people that were in these training groups. And so, um, and so that's what I think. I think, um, are you doing, are you doing that in your own ministry now? What is, what's it looking like in terms of your training? Yeah. And so, uh, we, uh, we, we recently just sent a, uh, a brother out to Bakersfield, the campus ministry over there that was in a training group, uh, our training group here in the Antelope Valley. And, uh, and, and since he's been in Bakersfield, that campus ministry has taken off. Uh, it's growing. Uh, they're baptizing people even during this, uh, this coronavirus time. More, I think more of their baptisms have come during this time than before wow. uh, this time. And, uh, and so, and, and, and he thanks me all the time for, for the investment, for the training, for the conversations. And so, um, and yeah, we have that right now going on in our group as well. Mm. Right now, it's a younger group. We've tra- we're transitioning members of our campus ministry off into our singles and in in different areas in the church. Um, you know, one one a couple actually just got married uh, a couple months ago, and so. But yeah, so training is definitely an emphasis. Training is definitely a big part of our our ministry, and it's something that we really pour a lot of resources in yeah. uh, because that's what we see Jesus do. Uh, in the gospel. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I've heard you speak, Amir, and you are a powerful speaker. I mean, you're very gifted, and it's clear that you've really practiced and and mm. you know, you. I can tell you, it's a it's your craft, and you've put effort into it. And mm. um, but it's it's tempting to rely on that tool because you know, training people takes a lot of time. Yeah, and even as I have read the Master Plan of Evangelism, I can tell by your your phrasing that you're you're dropping some lines from that book, Master Plan. You know, the the lost need the leaders, and and definitely that's such an um, a seminal book in the history of the ICOC. Certainly one that has formed like our convictions about training, but in reality, that's probably one of the toughest things to do is to put time into people. Mm-hmm. And to develop them, I mean, it's easy, it's easier to baptize them, and then it, but it's really yeah. tough in just dealing with the day to day, to you know, to put that in there. So, um, you know, can you speak to that? Just how how you get the kind of motivation to go? Okay, I'm going to put the time into the teaching them them to obey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is. It's, it's definitely a battle uh, because there's times where the people you're training they get it. And those are the great times. But then there's times where they don't. They don't. And, and the temptation is, man, should I just move on from this guy? And, right. And so I think I have, I just, what helps me is just to remember myself mm-hmm. and remember the relationship that I had with, and still do have with Greg Russell. And so even though I'm, I'm, I'm leading in a ministry and he's leading in a ministry, the training hasn't stopped. We're still in right. touch and we're still communicating with each other. And, and I just think, you know, Greg just put up with me through thick and thin. I was a knucklehead and, and I messed up, but he never gave up. And, it, mm. and it, it's definitely an investment, but the return on that investment is just huge. Yeah. I mean, that's what we see, you know, in, in, the, in the Bible with Jesus and, and his 12. And then they go on and they baptize 3000 people in one day. Mm. And so I think the investment, we, we have to remember, hey, it's worth it in the end. You know, there's times where it's challenging. There's times where it's rough, you know, but. I think Jesus believed that and, and we see what happened in scripture. And I think we also got to see it as well. And, and, uh, and so in, in Greg Moretzky thanks Greg Russell all the time, just about all the training and, 
and all the conversations and the time spent together. It was a lot of time. I mean, there was me and Greg Russell, we spent so much time together that when his wife was looking for him, trying to get a hold of him, she would call me because she knew I was with him. And uh, so I'm I'm with him. I'll just pass him the phone. So, um, so yeah, so it definitely takes a lot and it takes a lot out of you. But I think thinking forward and remembering, hey, this investment is going to be worth it, you know, eventually. Yeah. And, uh, and, And I think Greg Russell has, he's seen that here in the Antelope Valley, what we've been able to do. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm now seeing that what's happening in, in Bakersfield mm. um, with the brother Josh Fathery that's leading the campus ministry out there. And so, um, so again, you know, to speak to that, it's tough, but I think at the end of the day, it's fighting to remember, Hey, this investment is going to be worth it. Right. Right. Yeah. I was going to say that too. It's in those moments when I think about when I was a, a 20 year old, and someone told like all those times that Don would come to me and, and ask me about the internships and she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Mm. And I think that is what what I what I want my women to remember mm-hmm. is that I see something in you that the world does not see. Mm-hmm. And that deserves to be nurtured and mm-hmm. and loved and to, you know what I mean? Like to to help them to become the women that God has already designed them to be, but they just have to find all of the ingredients that's already within them. And so I just think for me, there's no amount of time that I'm like, Oh, well, I got to go home and feed my son. But I I do feel that way. You know what I mean? Cause my son is, he's a one-year-old, but I I also feel that they need somebody like that. They, they need it. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, you know, um, they're not going to become the women that God intended them to become. And yeah. that's my responsibility to them as their leader, as their friend, as their big sister, as someone who loves them and cares about them is um, that's my responsibility. Yeah. And, and, and it is so true. Mm-hmm. The return that you see, like I look at uh, one of the girls that's in our campus ministry, she's, she's in our leadership group now. Yeah. I got her, she was one of our teens and she was 15 years old. And to see the woman that she is now and in our leadership group and going after people and sharing her faith, like it in those moments when you feel tempted to quit or to give up or to feel like God has forgotten about your ministry, like you see those people and they inspire you. And it's all because of the time that you put into them. And so it comes full circle, um, really, yeah. you know, um, yeah. it does yeah. something for them and it also does something for us as well. Yeah, that's I mean, that's it's just so important. We talk all day about that, but it's uh, it's like most people know that you should be doing that. But the the issue is not the understanding. It's the kind of going, okay, I'm going to really pay the price here and put the time into loving people when people are stubborn or when they're not receptive and and just sticking with it tenaciously. I think that's impressive you guys are doing that. So let, if it's okay with you, let's just shift subjects here. Um, this is middle of June here, June 15th, when we're recording this. Lots of stuff going on in the U.S., um, racial tension, um, you know, just all sorts of stuff happening. What what thoughts and feelings have gone through your head, Amir and Jewel, in the, in the midst of all this? Um, being in the ministry, being a Christian, uh, being African American. Tell me what what's what have you guys been talking about? Man, yeah. Um, you asked what thoughts uh, and feelings have have been going through us, and and you know, all of them. 
I would say uh, it's been tough. It's it's definitely been a, a very challenging time, uh, challenging in in my faith. It's challenging in my convictions emotionally. It's been challenging. Uh, I've been I've been upset. I've been sad. I've wept over this. I've lost sleep. I've been angry. I've been fed up. Um, uh, there's also been a side of you know optimism and happiness and encouragement coming from you know the the feelings of that this is wrong have crossed the color boundary mm-hmm. and barrier and it's not just one people group black people that are upset and feeling a certain type of way it's all different uh groups and so there's this, a sense of hope and encouragement that comes from that um but yeah i think it's tough because as black people uh, I was sharing uh, with, you know, with my wife, uh, we've all been, or we know someone that has been on the brink of becoming the next George Floyd. Mm. And, you know, I have a situation in my life where, you know, going back, you know, when I was younger, you know, my mother, she uh, worked as a court reporter for the superior court of Los Angeles for 40 years. And so my experience growing up with, uh, police was good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a kid at bring your kid to work day. And, <laughs> you know, these guys are great. These guys are awesome. And I remember a conversation I was having with my father one day when I was young, he asked me what I wanted to do when I you know grew up. And I said, I want to be a police officer. Hmm. And then he proceeded to lecture me and give me every reason why I shouldn't be a police officer. So I'm torn as a, as a kid because I'm like these, these are heroes You know, when I'm at bring your kid to work day, but, you know, away from that, you know, this is how they're painted. And so uh, I was at Cal State Long Beach. I was a junior. I was on a walk and I was approached by three police officers. And I guess someone had reported me to bring that their attention. I was walking on campus. This wasn't even the campus police. These were, you know, department police officers. And so they sat me down. Uh, asked me a load of questions and, you know, asked me if I was a student at the school. I said, yeah, I was a student and they uh, pressed me to prove it. Thankfully, I had my student ID on me. And so I handed them my student ID. And as I was getting out of my wallet, one of the other officers grabbed my wallet Hmm. and started to go through my wallet. And and in that moment, I knew he's looking for something in my wallet, drugs, Mm -hmm. you know, who knows what to give him permission to arrest me or do anything he wanted to do to me. And it's in that moment where you just get this knot in your throat and you know, if you say too much, things escalate and get out of hand. And if you say too little, things still escalate and get out of hand. So you just feel helpless and you just feel trapped and and stuck because your life is, is no longer at the discretion of what the badge may stand for. It's at the discretion of the commanding officer. And it's just a tough, just challenging position to be in. And, and I understand not not all people from outside the black community are racist. I understand not all police officers are, are bad. I think if there's people that think that, we got to get past that. Um, but it's still just a challenging time just to be a black minister, uh, you know, be, to be a black man, but also be a black minister. We have a lot of people just in your ear from outside the church asking, hey, what do you think about this? What, is, what does your church have to say on it? What are you going to preach mm-hmm. on this issue? 
And, and it's just tough because there's a lot of people, the black community is just split up into different subgroups where different pe- people are feeling different things. And, you know, and, and so, I mean, I've had family members asking me if I was going to push a revenge narrative and if I was going to preach on that, you know, and talk about in the Old Testament, you know, where God's people were being mistreated and, you know, and, and God, you know, acted on that. And so it's been challenging, um, just the, the tension of, you know, filtering my emotions, you know, and not allowing those to stain and tarnish God's word. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's been, I, I, I appreciate, you know, you asking that, having the courage to ask that, and even our church, our family of churches for having the courage to approach this and talk about this in the church. Um, just because our members are hurting, yep. you know, and so it's definitely a challenge. Mm-hmm. Definitely a challenge. Um, I think that I have felt a sense of a lot of sense of fear and anxiety because it doesn't matter what I do for a living. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. that I love God. It doesn't matter that I help my mom take care of my grandma. It doesn't. It doesn't matter all of the things that are supposed to matter to make you a good person, those things don't matter. When they look at me, they only see one thing. And that one thing uh, causes them to want to destroy me as a person, regardless of all of the accomplishments that I have and Mm -hmm. who I am and if I'm educated or anything. And I think that to me is horrific. And that to me strikes a lot of fear and anxiety. And, um, you know, just the other day, they found a man hanging in a tree in a city in Palmdale. And that's 10 minutes away from us, a black man man hanging in the tree. And that was, was it a suicide? Was it a lynching? What, what was going on? No, they, they, the first thing that the, that the, they did is they claimed that it was suicide. But the interesting thing about it was it was across the street from it, the, city the city hall and a fire station. And so there's cameras everywhere and they're claiming there's no evidence. They can't look at any of the cameras that, oh, this is what it was. But there's other things that are proving that it might not have been a suicide. And so it's just, I, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like I, I got in my car the other day to go to drop off some something to someone who was in the hospital and the whole time I'm in the car, I'm rehearsing to myself, what what do I say if I get pulled over? How do I convince them to let me go home to my family? How do I convince them that I'm not who you think that I am? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've had several experiences and encounters where um, my both my little brother and I uh, worked for the city at, at a point in our lives. And, um, you know, as a family, my mom, my mom was a single mom. And so she would tell us, if you are out with another one of your siblings, you do not come home without your sibling. Mm-hmm. You make sure that you you guys come together and you come home. We're working at a city event that night and my little brother was there. He was not working. I was working, but he was there in my presence. And so the what I the lecture that I got before I left home is you do not come home without your little brother. Mm-hmm. So he's there with his friend. At this time, my brother was probably in the um, the ninth grade, the 10th grade. Um, he wasn't that tall. He wasn't even six foot yet. He, now he's over six foot, but he wasn't even six foot yet. And um, he was with one of his little friends and uh, a cop ran, got, walked up to him. He was just standing there watching the show like everybody else, 
walked up behind him, grabbed his arm, twisted it behind him, arrested him, Mm. didn't tell him why he was arrested, didn't say anything. They detained him. And so my shift is over and I have to go home and tell my mom, I don't know where my little brother is. Mm. And they're detaining him. He did not get a chance. He's a minor. You are supposed to call the parents of the minor for them, for the parents to be notified that this person is in custody. The next, not the next day, they release him. And my mom has no idea where my little brother is. And then after the fact, they were like, oh, we thought you were someone else. Granted, he's a black boy. Uh, All black boys look alike, whatever they thought. But they, the city had found out about my brother being arrested, uh, which he had done nothing. And they fired him. And at the time, this was during the recession in 2008. 2007, when when the recession started, my mom had got laid off from her job. And the only people in the house making money to make rent is me, my little brother and my older brother and my sister. And we're I had three jobs and my little brother had that job and my older brother had a job and we were paying the rent and paying all the bills in our household. And then we come and you tell and they they fire my little brother. They said because it was bad publicity for the city. No matter, he didn't do anything wrong. So they don't know the financial situation that we're in, but it's still like, this is what you're going to do. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And that's just one of many Mm -hmm. encounters that I've had uh, with the police or, um, and not, and that's not even touching on prejudices that I've experienced as a black woman um, and different things that I have been told um, or, you know, whether it be about my hair or whether it be about, oh, well, you know, you're, you're, we don't, you know, you're, you're not educated enough to know what's going on here. Or you, you, you wouldn't really understand how this is going to happen. And so um, I think that for me to think about us being in 2020 and the fact that this is still happening is um, really sad and discouraging and disappointing. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I, I still, the same conversations that my mom had with us you know, you put your hands on top of your head. You don't talk back. If they ask you something, you tell them exactly where you're going. Like the same conversation that my mom had with us about how to deal with the cops or how to deal with someone of prejudice, I have to have with my one-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And that to me is completely heartbreaking mm-hmm. that one day I'll have to sit my son down and say, look, this is the reality of the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think when I think about the situation, there's a lot of times where I'm at a loss for words. There's a lot of times where there's so many emotions, you can't sort through them all. And you just feel so overwhelmed with emotion that you, you just, I know that I have, I've just sat and cried because I just don't know what else to do um, or even how to navigate through it. And um, it is, it is completely, how do you talk to your students? You know, they're looking to you like, what do we say? What do we do? How do we respond like Christians? How do we respond like Jesus? And people are saying these things to us. How do we respond? And and to look at them in their face and tell them that you don't have an answer. Right. Um, that That is completely um, disheartening. Hmm. And um, I, yeah, I don't even have the words sometimes. So these last few weeks have been one of turmoil, uh, one of confusion, one of complete uh, being overwhelmed. And and still yet, there's still so much more we have to look forward to. Right, right. Um, you know, moving forward and, and changes and how do we make changes happen? How do we 
help other people, you mm-hmm. know, um, with those changes. And even speaking to what Amir said too, is um, I think for me is just, I have to be willing to have those conversations. I have to be willing if, if someone comes to me and they want to learn and they want to be informed, not being defensive and blocking everything off and being like, well, you, you'll never understand. Um, but really opening myself up and being vulnerable to answering questions and, you know, pointing them to resources and stuff like that. And so, um, but it is, it has been exhausting emotionally and physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting because like I was talking to Hervé Florent in Texas, um, a week or so ago, I called him and was talking to him about it. And, you know, he just, he shared one story. He said he was talking to a brother in his campus and they called from the campus ministry. And, um, he's the brother shared that, um, you know, the first time he saw that happen was when he was eight years old. And when he's talking about, he's referring to the death of George Floyd. And Mm -hmm. this young man had seen something like that happen in the streets of Houston. When he was eight, he saw an officer, um, kill a black black man and you know it's very matter of fact yeah the first time i saw that was when i was eight and Mm -hmm. um you know herve just shared that uh it's tough to just be yourself it's hard to just yeah be relaxed and be at ease because there's so much pressure um you know around um and it's just it's just eye-opening and in my conversations with people um in the church who are black you know, it's very much what you're saying there. It's like, well, there's this instance, I could share this story, but there's so many more stories. There's so much more. Um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have anything you want to comment on that or just add to that before we Yeah, so again, it's it's just it's 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 tough. It's tough. And uh I think we all know to an extent um that I mean, it's just it, it, the challenge is we know we got to be optimistic. We know we got to be hopeful. Um, but there's just so much that's out there, especially now with all this media coming out about it, social media all over the news. It just keeps you in this pessimistic state. And uh, and I think for me, what, what has really helped me um, fight to. To. Um, you know, distance myself from any type of way that I may feel like I want to respond or anything I may want to say is, Hey, I got to be loyal to Jesus in spite of how the color of my skin can justify my response. Mm-hmm. And I got to remember, Hey, Jesus is the Lord of my life, mm-hmm. not the color of my skin, not mm-hmm. the anger in my heart, not my frustration. And so I have to seriously fight to exercise the fruits of the spirit at this time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and so that, but, but that's a battle in itself just because each day brings something new and there's all kind of experiences and all kind of stories like you shared. And like you said, that just add, you know, an added level of weight mm-hmm. yeah. to everything that you're already feeling. Yeah. You know? and well, so, well, one thing I thought Amir and <clears throat> Jewel is like, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, during those times of crisis um, in the 50s and the 60s, you had you had spiritual leaders rise up. You had Martin Luther King Jr. rise up um, mm-hmm. for black Muslims. You had Malcolm X rise up. I mean, the spiritual force was like all of a sudden it surfaced a spiritual leader. 
Do you feel any responsibility or or a burden as a spiritual man and woman to go, okay, I've got to stand up. I've got to make a difference during this might be my time. Any any mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Oh yeah, and that's something that we definitely discussed multiple times. And uh many members of our church have reached out, you know, to to me and to my wife, you know, on that subject. So I I, I definitely feel that there is. I think that um Death times like this, people look to God more than ever before. And I think a lot of people feel closest to hearing the voice of God from hearing, you know, the men and women of God. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's definitely a level of responsibility on my part to make sure that I'm invested as much as possible, you know, in this issue um, to, to help uh, the members of our churches not just black members, but all members of our churches um, have a healthy perspective, you know, on this area, you know? And so, um, so yeah. And so, and it's interesting you said that someone reached out to me and, and, and said, you know, this is your Malcolm X moment, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, and I understand the heart where that was coming from and, you know, in response to say, Hey, I appreciate, you know, that, but, this is not my Malcolm X moment. This is my Jesus Christ moment. There you, you go. Know? There you go. I have to be like Jesus here. And so, so yeah. Yeah. Definitely be praying for you about that. What, what one thing could a disciple from another ethnic background do to improve it? If you're just sitting down and talking to a person, whether they're white, Asian, Latino, you know, someone, maybe they feel awkward. They don't, they don't even know what to say to you or even just how to broach the issue. What advice, what help, what, what would you tell them? I, I think that um, number one, uh, as, as in the black community, I think we need to meet them where they are. Of course, it's going to take a lot of courage for someone to ask you some things, you know, or, or specific questions. But I think be gracious. You know, like one thing I love about Jesus is he spoke truth and grace. It wasn't, oh, just truth, you know, or just a lot of grace. Like it was both. So I think we need to be gracious, you know, women and men of the black community, Mm -hmm. be gracious, but also to the people of other ethnic backgrounds, don't be afraid to be honest, like be honest, don't, um, and don't, this might sound bad, but don't come to us with your guilt. Like we are not responsible for your guilt. And if you feel guilty in any way, you need to figure that out before you come to us. Mm -hmm. Because if you try to lay that at our feet, and expect us to fix it, that's not going to work like at all. So I think, okay, you have to have a sober judgment of yourself. If you're feeling guilty at all, amen, that's okay. You know what I mean? But you got to figure out why that is. And then if you have any questions about that, then don't be afraid to be honest and, 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 and come to us. Like, cause, and then we, as a black community have to be gracious Mm -hmm. and, and be willing to answer those questions. But I think, um, yeah, I think number one, just got to deal with that because we've had yeah. a lot of people say, I feel guilty. And it's just like, oh, okay. Can't do what, much what with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say be solution oriented. Uh, I think uh, it's easy um, if you're outside of, you know, the black community to say, oh, well, you know, this is unfortunate. You know, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, you know, I've even heard some people from outside the black community say this is inconvenient. And so I think this is for both groups. And I think we both have to make sure that there's this level of, Hey, we got to go 
towards a solution here. Right. You know, so if you feel like you don't understand and you're not aware, a solution for you initially would be to become a learner and to seek to understand uh, so that you can. And I think another big thing, too, is direct the conversation to a solution. Right. Don't just direct the conversation and encourage conversations full of complaining um, about the solution. I think there's complaining on both sides, but I think there's got to be more of a, okay, what's the next step? What do we do from from here? Where do we go? How do we move forward? You know, instead of, you know, police this. Right. I don't understand that. It's okay. Let's figure out how. And I I think the leading the conversation is huge because that's where a lot of this stuff starts. A lot of these feelings are expressed through a conversation. And I think if you're outside the black community, I think lead the conversation to, hey, this is why, you know, there's pain. This is why there's anger. Hey, this is why there's rioting going on. So it's looking at why before we criticize the what. Right. That's great. That's super practical. And it does lead to solutions and all, it keeps it away from just, oh, ain't it awful? Ain't it terrible? Oh, my gosh, which mm-hmm. really gets nowhere and just brings everybody down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you guys could just just wave a magic wand, you just take a little magic wand and you could just make it just like you want it. What, w- what would society look like? <laughs> I think if I could do that. Society would be full of disciples. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, but but I think that there's there's a lot of truth there because you know the world we live in. Everybody, a lot of people are on a different page with their moral compass and in in their standards for living. And I think issues like this exist because our nation is full and our society is full of a lot of people who are unsurrendered to the lordship of Christ. Mm. And anytime you have a large group of people unsurrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, issues like this will always happen and always occur. And so I think we definitely got to cater towards the spiritual aspect, our society, you know, and and to become more spiritually minded and God focused. Um, I think uh, someone asked me the other day, hey, what can we expect six months, months from now if this thing moves forward a year from now? And my response was, hey, we can expect the same thing. Mm-hmm. If it's not going to happen to black people, then maybe it's going to happen to some other people group. But, you know, it's, it's just in line with the fact that our, our society is full of people that aren't surrendered to Jesus. Well, so, I, I totally agree with you. I've thought the same thing. I thought, you know, you know, 50 years ago, there was a, a still a, a remnant or a foundation of spirituality, um, mm-hmm. both in the white community and in the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, church was stronger, church culture, it, you know, maybe people were drifting away, but still there was like a common reference point. And today I, I feel the same way. Like there's such a um, kind of a, a famine for spirituality. There's just, there's yeah. just not the same foundation there was even 50 years ago. And as I look at the news and it just, it's so discouraging, I, I feel the same way. Like, well, there's, there's no commonality in terms of just the spiritual footing, the foundation is just completely eroded away. Were you going to say something, Jewel? Yeah, I was going to say, I I agree with Amira as far as like, I would wave my wand and everyone would be, you know, lovers of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) After you guys are done waving it, give it to me and I'll I'll wave the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, and so I I would, that that would be awesome. But I think one thing that I realized is that um, what would make this world a better place is just a level of understanding, Mm -hmm. seeking to understand Mm -hmm. Because I love that we're different. I think God created us to be different. That's and it right. brings beauty to the world that we yeah. live in. 
Um, even sitting here, me and Amir, like I'm darker than him. Like we're two shades of different browns. Like, but that's amazing. You know what I mean? And so I think that if we all sought to understand each other, we would be in a different place, even though we were different. And I had an understanding of who you are. You had an understanding of who I am. That would make things so much better. So Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, seeking to understand and, and, um, being patient with people when they don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks you guys for your comments on that. Let me, let me, let's change channel again here. You guys seem happy to get every, every time I've seen you, you seem happy. You seem relaxed. I don't sense any tension. I no no uh, stink eyes toward one another, anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> any advice to those who are, are single listening and they're going, Oh my gosh, am I ever going to find, I'd love to find someone like Amir or find someone like Jewel. They seem so happy, but I just, I'm looking around and I just don't see anybody. Any advice to people that are, are looking for a spiritual person? Mm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a, definitely a big question. And, uh, and I think uh, for us, I think, you know, we definitely found, you know, what, what we needed in each other. And, uh, and I think that's the thing is, it's what you need. Um, you know, not always what you want. And so yeah. um, in a lot of cases we did get what we want, wanted, um, but we definitely have what we need. And I think it's a blessing to have a relationship, you know, a spiritual relationship. And I think blessings in the Bible, you see that, that blessings follow order. And so in order for, for some blessing to occur in your life, things have to be in order. Mm-hmm. And I think I see this framework in Genesis of, you know, Adam and Eve. And I think before Adam had Eve, first he had his relationship with God. And so your relationship with God has to be in order. Number one, I think two, there's, you, you got to have some responsibility. You got to be responsible, Yeah. you know, and there has to be some measures to that in your life where other people can attest to, Hey, this is a responsible student. This is a responsible employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a responsible, um, you know, member of uh, his or her family. Uh, and I also think, so responsibilities there, I think after that, restrictions, some boundaries, you got to have some boundaries in your life. You know, there's got to be some structure in your life. And then we see, okay, then a significant other can come in. Then you can have a relationship there. And I think also furthermore, I would even add, you know, you know, you see in the Bible, this concept of two becoming one. Hmm. And, uh, and, and I would encourage a thought process of, hey, don't, attempt to get with somebody that you don't want to be like, mm. you know, and, and even our, our marriage dynamic, we become a lot like the other, you know, the things that make Jewel laugh. Now they make me laugh. The things that Jewel likes to eat. Now I like to eat, uh, you know, and so um, a lot of her character is becoming my character and vice versa. And so there's this two becoming one, um, you know, uh, occurrence happening. And so um, I think, think, hey, if, if the person doesn't have the discipline that I don't want, if the person doesn't have the conviction I don't want, the person doesn't have the friendships I don't want, and I got to be intentional here and I got to, you know, seek after someone that, um, you know, um, I would like to be like. But I think at the end of the day, it's make sure that you have some order in your life and God is going to lead that person to you. It'll, it'll definitely happen. But I yeah. think first focus on yourself when you're single and, uh, and then it would happen. And so I would say that. Um, do you have some music? Yeah, I would say um, two things. Number one, contentment. And number two, being the person that you're looking for is looking for. Mm. And so first of all, being content, I think a lot of times we can overlook that like, well, I just want God is going to grant me the desires of my heart. God is just he's going to give it to me because I want it. 
And I think sometimes God is maybe holding back because you're not what you have. You know how it says like, you know, if you can't be entrusted with little, God is not going to give you much. Right. And so I think that even when I think about this marriage, like I'm just borrowing this man and I have to return him back in better condition than God gave him to me. <laughs> and so that's that's the way that I think about it. So mm. I have to invest in him. I have to you know what I mean? I have to change. I have to repent. And, and so does he. That's the, how the relationship goes. But I think when we're not content and we're just always looking for the next stage or why don't I have this or well, how come so and so? I just think you miss God and God, it just, I feel like the lack of contentment just is a test that you're not ready for God, what he has to give for you. And I think you really have to be able to take a sober judgment, look at yourself and to, you know, look at your life. You know, you can't be like, well, I want a boyfriend, but you don't have a job or you can't Mm. hold, you, you didn't drop out of how many classes and Mm. you know what I mean? You can't even get a degree, you know, but I think that you definitely have to be who you are looking for is looking for. And so when I was single, that's just, I really worked on my contentment. And there's this quote that says, uh, I think it's by Maya Angelou. And she says, a woman should be so lost in God that a man has to go to God to find her. Wow. So I want, that's what I, I had that quote, you know, in your little Facebook, I had it like in my little Facebook and, and I still, to this day, it's one of those things that I, I thought about. Like when when a mirror was brought to me, it, it was the, literally someone had to say, Jewel, hey, someone is he. Hey. And I was like, so all so focused on God and his mission that I mm-hmm. didn't even I almost missed it, yeah. you know, because I was just so right. focused. But yeah, I, that's what I would say. Contentment and being who you want to be, you know, being that mm-hmm. person. Right. Right. That's great, great wisdom and, 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 and tough at the same time, because it's so easy to just go, God, give him, give him to me. And if not, it's mm-hmm. so kind of like God, holding God hostage. Like you don't give him to me. I'm going to throw a fit you know, yeah. or I'm not going to have my quiet times. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm going to just kind of check out here spiritually. And mm-hmm. it's, it's tempting. It's tempting to do yeah. that. And I, I think that shows a lot of wisdom. And it's, it's really funny you guys say that because almost every person I've talked to says something very similar to that, like mm-hmm. surrender to God, get involved in God and let God bring him to, to, to you. And, um, that's, I love that quote from Maya Angelou. That's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you just, you just finished a master's and I know Greg Moretzky's a, a doctor. He's got a doctorate and yeah. he's all into education. What, yeah. you know, how, how old are you guys? What, how old are you, uh, Amir? I'm 28. You're 28. I'm 30. Okay. And you're 30. Okay. So you guys are just in your, your late twenties. What, what was it like? What was your experience getting a master's? Would you recommend it to other younger people to get a master's? Was it worth it to you? Sure. Yeah. I think going into it, I was overwhelmed, you know, just by the thought of it, you know, before I had even started any coursework, it was just an overwhelming thing. You know, you hear there's a, you know, you'll be busy, you know, doing master's level work and graduate level work. And so, um, but then I got into it and uh, I mean, we learned so much uh, and uh, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything, you know, and if I could go back and I would like to, I would definitely like to go back for some more, you know, education um, upon completing this program. Uh, we, I mean, we explored a lot of aspects of theology, pneumatology, Old Testament, New Testament, interpretation, hermeneutics. Uh, and so there was a lot. And so I definitely recommend it. It's definitely 
uh, contributed to a lot of my growth spiritually. I think personally, uh, my personal relationship with God definitely um, took a lot from that experience where I was able to grow closer to God and, and understanding him through the lens of education yeah. um, instead of just the lens of my personal times. So I definitely grew closer to God through it. There were moments where I did feel like, man, I'm distant from God. It's it's because, mm. like, you know, it's all this stuff that you're learning. It's like, right. man, how's it translating everything? Right. But I think all said and done, I definitely feel closer to God now. And so I definitely recommend it. It's, it's definitely contributed to um, my growth as a minister as well. Uh, and I think even just having it's I, it's been surprising. You know, I mean, I finished my coursework in December and then got back, you know, in the ministry swing of things and. Um, like I had prior to the program with my schedule uh, and uh, being on campus, I'm sharing my faith and there's members of my ministry sharing their faith as well. And they're talking about the leader of their group who leads their campus ministry and they throw in and he's got his master's degree in religious education. And it just changes people's mind to, hey, this, I got to go. Let me go pick this guy's brain. Let right. me go learn some Bible from him. And so. Right. Um, in, 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 a, in a lot of ways, in, in, in a unique way, it it, uh, it it assists your effectiveness on campus. Right. Adds, uh, adds credibility to what you're saying. Right. Right. That's right. great. That's and so it does a lot. It does a lot for you. Uh, and so I definitely recommend it. And, uh, and, and I'm totally open to uh, and it's not just because I work with Greg Moretzky. It's because <laughs> of my personal experience in the program that makes me open to further opportunities of education. That's great. Well, the next time we talk, I'll, I might have to address you as Dr. Burton. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, it's been, a, I really appreciate your time and thank you for your patience and going through all these questions. I'd just like to ask what, what you, if you have any final words, I mean, this, this podcast is really for people who are, are also um, like you wanting to make a difference. And you guys are definitely making an impact, living a no regrets life and I certainly respect you for, but what would you like to tell men or women um, who are thinking, man, I'd like to do that. I really want to make a difference with my life. Any any final words? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, definitely use your voice. I think your your voice definitely has significance to it. It has value to it. Uh, Your thoughts, um, you know, aren't beneath anybody else's thoughts. And so I think definitely use your voice. I think it could be easy to say, oh, I'm just 20 years old. I'm just young. Who's going to listen to me? Who's going to get behind my ideas? Who's going to get behind the things that I want to do? But I think we got to look past that. I think even now, I think even with the protests going on in the streets for this racial tension, it's a lot of 20-year-olds. It's a lot of 30-year-olds. And there's this rising sense of, hey, my voice has value. And uh, and I think if if all 20-year-olds are thinking that way, then our world will definitely change. Mm. And there's definitely a lot of good that we can do. And so I think talk yourself into it before you talk yourself out, out of it. Mm. It's so easy nowadays to talk yourself out of doing things. Mm. I think we got to be better in talking ourselves into it um, more than ever before. Mm-hmm. So, Honestly, the best advice and, or words that I could say is just love God. I think mm-hmm. God already has in mind who you are determined and supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as you seek after God and you uh, continue in that, you will be molded into that person. And um, I I just believe that 1000%, like just Mm -hmm. continue to love God and God will make it clear. Just like the scripture says, like God will set 
your path straight, you know? That's right. So um, mm-hmm. that would be my lasting yeah. words. It's a lot of wisdom there. And it's like what David said when he said to God who fulfills his purpose for my life and mm-hmm. just yeah. trusting that God, God has a path. He's going to guide me. He's going to help me as long as I continue to seek him. And uh, mm-hmm. that's powerful advice. Well, all the best to you guys. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I want to thank you today for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you've enjoyed the program today, I'd really ask you to please share this with your friends. Let them know on social media. Subscribe to the program. Have a great day and make this life count.